We've completed section one of the book now. And section one was dealing with the entire universe, why it exists, why Hashem created it, and what the purpose of it is, and everything that entails, everything included within it. Now we're going to get into more of the details, more of the specifics of how Hashem interacts with that system. Mm. And we're going to be using a term, starting with this chapter and throughout a, a fairly large section of the book, probably all of section two. And this term is the Hebrew word hashgacha. 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 Very good. I want our listeners to learn this word because we could translate it as oversight or supervision, which are not bad translations. And we'll explain in more depth the meaning of this word in a second. But I think it's important to use the original word so we don't conflate some of the preconceived notions that we have with our English terms. I'd like to keep this word separate. Let's use it only in the Hebrew so that we can associate this term specifically with what we want it to mean, which is the way that Hashem oversees the world in a way that Hashem takes responsibility for ensuring that it functions appropriately. Okay, so we don't want to use an English translation because we might falsely believe that uh, it, it's, it's too accurate or that it's a very accurate translation when, when the original Hebrew sounds like it carries more meaning. That's always the challenge of translating things is that every language has its own connotation based on its culture for, for each word. And so therefore, we might be misled a little bit. So we're going to use this word hashgacha. We're going to learn it and and use it. And I might tr translate it from time to time as oversight or something like that. But we should be familiar with this word. So what does it mean? Hashgacha does come from the word to supervise or to, to oversee something. But it has the connotation also that I'm not just passively observing. I'm taking responsibility for it. I'm concerned with it. In fact, this word in the Aramaic, the same root in the Aramaic, means to, to pay attention to or to be concerned about something. And so it's kind of a mix of these two connotations, to be concerned with and to take, uh, to take a personal responsibility for ensuring the success of something, in addition with me overseeing the whole process. Basically being a project manager. Exactly, it is. And Hashem is the ultimate project manager. Hmm. Hashem created this project called creation, the world, and we explained in section one what the purpose of that project is, and he is overseeing the project. And we're going to discuss in a very general sense in this first chapter that Hashem does that, and that there's a difference between the human being and other creations. This term hashgacha might sound familiar if you're familiar with kosher restaurants, because if you want to eat kosher food, you want to make sure that it has a certification someone that can actually attest that the food that you're eating is kosher. So a restaurant, in order to have a kosher certification, the restaurant will have to employ a supervisor called a mashgiach, someone that does hashgacha, this oversight. So that is a, a term that we can relate to. I'm more comfortable associating that connotation with the word than the word that people usually translate hashgacha to, which is divine providence, which sounds esoteric. What do you mean by that? Well, what does divine providence mean? It well, I, I think of it as like, um, when, if I hear that term, I think of like, like almost destiny or, or that, that God 
took a direct hand in in guiding uh, events. So the second thing you said is accurate, but the first word you chose was destiny, right? Divine providence does have this connotation of something spiritual and intangible and esoteric. I want to stay away from that. Our goal here is to understand on the most rational and tangible level that we can what these systems are and what the world is all about. So to use words like divine providence, I think it's counterproductive to us being able to understand things on a, on a more real way. Okay, so we're looking for practical, and that kind of removes it from, from the physical world. If we right, talk so about we, yeah, we want to drop the connotation of, of oversight and supervision, project management, hashgacha. So let's begin chapter one in section two. It's already well known and established, we spoke about at length in the first section, that everything that exists, whether it be in the higher realms or in the lower realms, everything that exists was only created because Hashem saw in His wisdom that there is a need and a purpose that somehow facilitates the ultimate goal of creation. Every element that's in creation, it's for a purpose that fits into the bigger picture. And all of their laws and rules of physics, they were all embedded in the nature of these respective creations by Hashem as a decree. Now, by the way, that includes things like logic. I mean, we take for granted two plus two equals four. We think that's inherently true, hmm. right? Things that are that are nature. But we have to understand that nature is also a creation. Logic was created yeah. as part of the system, which is a little bit mind-boggling. <laughs> but it was created to fit into the system, and every element of it, all of it was created with a very specific intention for each respective creation. And not only was it created for that intention initially, but it needs to be sustained. Its existence needs to remain for that same purpose. As long as it's fulfilling the purpose that it was created for initially. So therefore, since they not only were created for a purpose, but need to remain in existence in order to fulfill that purpose, there needs to be a constant supervision, a constant hashgacha on every element of creation in order to ensure that it's in its proper state and oh, because the role. because the sustenance of that thing is is an active thing that God is actually doing continuously, so He's got to be observing all of all of these things constantly to see if they're still fulfilling their purpose in existence. Exactly, observing and more than observing with all the connotations that we spoke about earlier of hashgacha, uh, an active observance to to be concerned with and to ensure that nothing is hashgachaing. Exactly. Right. To be mashgiach. Now, obviously, things aren't just going to randomly go haywire. 
everything happens because Hashem created it that way. Mm. Nevertheless, it still does require an active supervision. And we'll see why throughout the rest of this section. Okay. By the way, Rosh Hashanah is coming up, and I think it's appropriate to speak out now that we relate to Rosh Hashanah as the day of judgment. I mean, that, that's what it's called in, in all of our prayers, Yom Hadin, the day of judgment. What that really means is it's an accounting. The judgment is not Hashem deciding if you're a good or bad person. What we're taught is that Hashem is taking a full accounting of all of creation, not just human beings, but everything in reality. Just like if you were an employer and you started a business and you hired some employees to work in your business, you'll take an accounting of your business. You'll see if your products are appropriate, uh, what your costs are, and you'll do a performance review of your employees. So you might do a yearly performance review and you'll bring it, you might notice halfway through their contract, their yearly contract, that maybe they're not up to snuff. And it could be that, I mean, you're not gonna fire them on the spot maybe, You'll give them some time. You committed to investing in them for the next year. Maybe you'll try to encourage them. You'll give them some words of... I might watch them more closely. Watch them more closely, give them advice, because they're still part of your business. You'll want to invest in them. Now, after that year is up, you'll do a performance review, and you'll, you'll make a decision. Let's say they're still not fulfilling all of their obligations that you expect from them. You won't necessarily fire them. Maybe you'll determine that that's the right course of action. It's just not worth it. Or maybe you'll see that this person has a lot of potential that's just been untapped. And maybe you have some ideas for how to unlock that in your employee. Hmm. And even though they haven't been fulfilling their obligations, it could be a worthwhile investment for you to keep them on because the potential of what they could do for your company could be amazing. It just hasn't been unlocked yet. And you're going to give them another chance and you're going to try again and reinvest in them. Or maybe not, or maybe you'll determine that it's not worth the effort and it's too much of a risk and you'll eliminate them from your company, you let them go. This is the way that Hashem is doing a global universal performance review of everything in creation. Does it fit into the system? There's a goal for all of reality and everything that exists within it must be facilitating that ultimate goal. So the question is, is it? And is it worth keeping on? What we're taught is that the books of life and death are open in front of Hashem, and it will be determined on Rosh Hashanah if you will live for the following year, if you will die. So your name gets written in one of those books. Right. It feels a little scary, and some people might have the reaction like, why would Hashem kill me? Am I such a bad person that Hashem should kill me? And it's... It's coming from the wrong perspective. It's coming from an unjustified point of view that I, I just live. I deserve to be here, and someone would have to take it from me exactly. rather than I'm constantly being given life. Right. My life is mine. I'm already here. It's established. Why would Hashem kill me? That's not what's happening. You are presently being put into this world at every moment. The question is, do you still fit into the system? Are you valuable? Are you an asset? Are you facilitating the system or are you detrimental to the ultimate goal? And the answer to that question is beyond 
all of us. And by the way, just because someone dies doesn't mean that they're detrimental. It could be that they fulfilled their purpose. You know, you hire a person to do a job, a contractor, and he does his job and he goes home and he's not part of your company anymore. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean you fired him. He did his job, he finished. And so it doesn't necessarily mean just because someone died that they're detrimental to the system. But they're, the calculations are incalculable for human beings. But that is what's happening. And it's just a little insight about what's happening on Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Judgment, and how it fits into you know just this opening paragraph here in, in chapter one. All right. Number two, we already explained actually in the previous chapter, the last chapter in section one, the beginning of all creatures, of everything in existence, is these that we spoke about last time, these potential powers in the spiritual realm. And from there, there is a chain link of energy and influence that shows up down here in the physical realm. These physical things, in all of their details and their specific properties, it's all according to how they're being affected by their spiritual roots. There is no physical thing in existence, whether it be big or small, on any level, that does not have a direct source and root in these spiritual potentials, the kochus each according to their own properties. So the master of creation, the Lord, he is supervising mashkiach on everything in creation, all of this whole process, which means starting from the initial stage of the process, which is the kochus anivdalim, these spiritual potentials. And the entire process of how it channels down into the physical world. We mentioned in last chapter also that everything that occurs down here in this world has an appointed spiritual force as well right. that helps facilitate that action. Hashem also has hashkacha over all of those things as well. So Hashem can facilitate and sustain all of the elements of creation and their appointed forces. In order to continuously provide energy so that it can carry out its actions. I, I think I get that. Let's summarize because it sounds a little bit more complicated than it really is, I think. All right. All we're saying is, in the first part of this chapter, we said that Hashem not only created everything in reality, but also continuously sustains it with existence, and therefore that requires a constant hashkacha, supervision, oversight. With you so far. In number two, 
we said that that system is made up of spiritual and physical, which we spoke about in the last episode. Yep. And therefore, Hashem, His Hashgacha applies to every element of the system and all of its processes, starting with the initial spiritual potentials. Okay. And how that channels down all the way to the physical realm. All right. So he's not, we're, we're saying specifically, he's not just observing what's happening in the physical world because that's the results of the spiritual. He's observing all of it. Right. The entire or vice versa. chain as well. Exactly. And Hashem is not only concerned with what's happening in the spiritual realm and, you know, whatever happens in the physical realm happens. There is a hashkacha over every element of creation on every stage well, that, in that all of its processes. makes sense because, I mean, most of what happens in the physical world comes from the forces in the spiritual world, except for the fact that we have free will. And so you, you kind of do need to monitor both halves of the system. Yes. Now that you brought up free will, that takes us to number three. So now... We know that the human being is different from every other species in creation. That mankind was given free will and ability through which we can acquire our perfection or deficiency. And from that perspective, in that aspect of the human that we have free will, we are an actor and an impactor, and we are not passively affected. So we're a mover, not a moved. So therefore, the hashkacha that applies to the human being must be different than it is to everything else mm. because we are operating on the system in a very different way. Yeah. So therefore, Hashem needs to provide extra scrutiny and hashkacha on the details of all of our actions in order to, let's say, present us with opportunities along each of our respective paths and in accordance with the results of our actions. So now it comes out that our actions themselves will have a specific hashkacha over them. And not only the actions, but all of the results of those actions, the ripple effect that'll happen in all of reality. And therefore, there will also be a hashkacha on the man himself who's making those decisions in accordance with the decisions that he's made measure for measure. If that sounds a little convoluted, mm. he says we're going to discuss this much more later on. Okay. But generally, the the amount of hashgacha, this oversight, varies with the actions of the man? That is true. We're not really getting into that now, but to the degree that a person utilizes their free will will necessitate more hashgacha. Oh, okay. And this concept isn't applicable to any other type of creation. Anything else in existence, be it rocks or lofty angels, anything, they are all passive. They're all affected by the system, but they're not the effectors. So therefore, the hashgacha 
on that species in general, let's say frogs, the only hashgacha that's necessary is for the general maintenance of the species of frog, which is necessary in the world. In order to sustain the root and the branches of that species in accordance with its nature and its rules and everything that's required for it to exist in the world. But it doesn't require a specific interest. But the human being, that the members of the species of human were actors, were movers. We affect the system and manipulate it. As we've explained, it requires a very unique and specific type of hashgacha. In accordance with what we're causing with our actions, not less or more. And we'll explain much more about this as we continue in this section with God's help. That does conclude chapter one. It's much shorter than we're used to, but it's a good introduction now. And we'll carry on next time with the specifics of man's hashgacha. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.